you know, it used to be, for example, attendance issues was one of the big things about whether or not somebody was going to be disciplined or whether somebody was going to, was performing satisfactorily. Well, you know, that's maybe not the way to measure performance anymore. You know, so how do you measure if you can't actually see what that person's doing? How do you measure their productivity? So I think managers have to rethink or some managers have to rethink how do we measure that somebody is providing the results that we are looking for? It's not just the amount of time they're working on something. What are the results that we're seeing? Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. According to Pew Research, in the fall of 2020, arguably the height of the pandemic, over 70% of workers whose jobs could be performed from home were doing so. Today, over 50% of those workers are still working remote all or most of the time, according to Pew. So now, two and a half years after the pandemic started, some of those workers' employers are trying to coax their employees back into their offices on a full or part-time basis. Other employees have employers have embraced remote work on a full or part-time basis, and a recent Gallup study shows that engagement is highest among fully remote workers and lowest for fully on-site workers who could perform at least a portion of their job from home. According to a Sherm poll, almost half of surveyed workers say that they will look for a remote position in their next job. Uh, And almost a quarter say that remote work is a must for their next position. That Sherm poll said that 63% of their respondents said that being required to work from an office makes no sense when work can be completed remotely. But at the same time, Pew Research says 65% of employees in remote work environments feel less connected to their coworkers than they did before the pandemic, and 30% of those workers admit to experiencing motivation challenges. Add to all of this the intense competition for talent that many employers face, and it is easy to understand why many businesses are still rethinking their policies and practices around remote work. Joining me today to discuss all of this is Marianne Fuljum. Marianne is a senior HR consultant with the, with the Whitney Smith Company, where she consults with employers of all sizes and from a variety of industries. Prior to joining Whitney Smith over 15 years ago, she held HR roles in both the public and private sector. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Marianne. Thank you, Mike. I'm happy to be here. So like me, you have clients in a bunch of different kinds of businesses. So I just rattled off a bunch of statistics, but beyond that... What are you seeing in the wild with your clients and remote work? Well, it was very interesting as I was hearing those statistics because I'm hearing all of that with the clients that we have. It really depends on the the type of industry the employer is in, um, what the jobs are that um, that the workers are doing. Some of our clients really 
are trying to get their employees back to work and they're feeling the pushback from the employees. They're feeling that um, their, their employees are saying, hey, we've been able to work remotely this long. Why can't we continue to do so? But then also there's that loss of camaraderie, some of that informal conversation that happens just, you know, when you walk down to somebody's office or, you know, sitting around in the break room or something like that. You lose some of that when you're working remotely 100% of the time. So it really depends on what the jobs are, what the industry type is, what the work is. Um, we're hearing it all. Yeah, that's you know, I think that's the the – the hardest thing to measure is what is that collaboration worth? Uh, you know, I, I went out on my own. I left corporate America 24 years ago. And it was, uh, you know, the one thing I've missed is that ability just to walk down the hall, knock on somebody's door and say, hey, can I just bounce something off? Of and and not have that, that constant, you know, that's that, you know, impromptu conversation about something. Now I've built... And I think a lot of remote workers are learning to do it too. But I've built a network around myself that I can do that. I've I've got the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is you know local business owners um, uh, who I have a lot of events with, and I can pick up the phone, I can call. I've got you know HR friends and and consultants who I know who I can always call. But I think for a lot of employees who don't already haven't already built those networks, that collaboration issue. Uh, it, you know, it leads to some of that loneliness people have mentioned, that disconnection from their 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 uh, their peers. Uh, and you know, have you seen any employers come up with ways to, you know, to facilitate those those connections while they're still working remote or partially remote? Well, actually, the most common thing that I see is that more of a hybrid type of. Um, uh, model where they can work remotely, the employees can work remotely, uh, maybe two days a week, and then come back into the office two or three days a week. That way, they've got that um, that those informal discussions, you know, where they're working together. Also, if you even think about new employees that start with an organization, um, they don't have the benefit of some of those little things that have become company culture that uh, employees that have been there for a while have. So they might be even more feeling less, uh, less connected to the organization, you know? So I think that hybrid model seems to be the most common uh, type of model that I'm seeing for employers that, that can do that. Do you see those employers putting people on schedules or just, you know, so where you work, you work in the office Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday and you're, you can work remote Thursday and Friday? Or do you see them staggering that, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday or something like that? Or are they just saying you come in a couple of days a week when, it, when it's convenient for you? Yeah, it, it really depends on what the specific jobs are that individuals are doing. So teams that need to collaborate together, they might have a specific time that they need to be there so that they they are working together. Um, probably that's the more common is to have set days that people are there because otherwise uh, you're not really getting what you're looking for, which is, hey, let's work together to 
I talk about what's going on and that type of thing. So, and it's, do you think do you see that mostly being decided by the you know that team leader that 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 frontline manager who's working with with that team saying that, or is it, or is the company saying everybody's going to be here? on these days company-wide? I really see it coming. The ones I've dealt with are coming from the top. So every, if we've got 150 employees in our offices, we're going to see every, all 150 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or whatever day you say decide. I'm starting to see more and more of that, too. Um, you know, maybe the economic change is making a difference, but I'm seeing more and more employers saying now, we want to get people back in. You know, we understand that you can do some remote work, um, but we want to get people back in. The other thing that I've noticed is um, the employers that are working more remotely are having more, um, I think they call it hot desking, you know, where they don't have a specific space that is their own. They have a common area that their employees can use to, uh, for when they do come in, they can use the phone, the equipment or whatever, but they don't have a space that's their own. So that's what I'm seeing with the employers that are more remotely, maybe the employees just come in once a week or something like that. And I know, you know, a lot of employers are are looking at the increasing employee costs and, and all of that. And, and, wondering, okay, do we really need this much office space mm-hmm. if we've only got on any given day a third or half of our staff on site? And so hot desking or something like that makes a lot of sense if I can, especially with employee costs going up and, and you know, the real estate is, you know, largely an employee cost. Uh, you know, it's not on the same line item in the P&L, but it, you know, we have all this real estate because we need a place, you know, to put butts and seats, right? So yeah. if we only need half of those, maybe... We, and so um, that may be one of the, the factors employers want to consider, too, is, OK, employees are costing me a lot more. A lot of them want to work hybrid mm-hmm. or fully remote. Uh, and maybe I can, you know, offset some of that cost with, with you know, you know, uh, with, you know, lower real estate cost. Yes. And the other thing that I'm hearing, we've got a couple of recruiters in our office and they, as they are talking with potential um, employees, you know, applicants, they're hearing the question of can I work remotely very often now. So that's becoming one of the conditions that um, employees are wanting to come back to work or to work for an organization is do they have the option to be flexible or to be able to work remotely at least a couple days a week? It's interesting how many HR roles, uh, HR professionals I see posting in different talk, you know, chat forums for HR folks saying, hey, I'm looking for an HR journalist role fully remote. And I'm thinking that's a hard one. Uh, if you've got a fully remote organization, maybe that makes sense, you know, and, uh, and so Secret Imperative closed uh, or went remote in March of 2020. And heck, I sold, I own the office building and I sold it this year because we're just not going back. It's worked wonderful for us. Uh, but, you know, and maybe, you know, if, if, I, if I and my, my wife who runs the HR side of things here uh, weren't HR professionals, you know, and we had to go hire somebody, I'd have to hire a remote HR, you know, to be a remote person. Uh, so, you know, it's a, you know, it's an interesting thing. Now, 
when we're talking about remote and having people full-time or hybrid, um, do you see any concerns with somebody's status as to whether they're exempt or non-exempt that employers should really think about when they're deciding whether somebody can work remote or not? Well, you know, one of the important um, uh, rules about non-exempt employees is that you have to be able to track your time and be paid time and a half or hours worked over 40. And so um, an employer who allows a non-exempt employee to work remotely needs to make sure they have a really good tracking system in place so that they are getting an accurate accounting of the hours worked and are paying them appropriately. And that's, you know, everybody says they want remote remote work because of the flexibility it gives them. But when I'm paying you hourly, I really, I've got accountability to the federal government to make sure that we're, we're capturing that correctly. And, and, and I think a, a, a lot of employees who are uh, non-exempt don't understand yeah, you may not get to work whenever you want to, like an exempt employee will, because I need, you know, I need to be able to track when you're when you're working. And also often those non-exempt employees are supporting other other teams and you've got to be on the clock. I mean, I need to be able somebody needs to be able to pick up and call HR at 9 a.m. or, you know, IT or whoever those support functions. You need somebody who's going to pick up the phone. Yeah. And so the other, um, I, I mean, that's a very important point is if your job is to be support to other employees and you, obviously you have to be available for that. Um, another point that I think a lot of employers don't realize is that just, uh, they might say, I'm going to just pay this person a salary then that way we don't have to worry about it. But just because somebody's paid salary doesn't mean that they're necessarily exempt. And so, you know, the employer needs to make sure that they have that job classified appropriately because you can have a salaried non-exempt individual. So you still have to keep track of their hours work and still pay them, you know, over time if they go over 40 in the work week. Yeah, I don't see a ton of people doing salary uh, uh, non-exempt, but I, I've run across it. And uh, usually when I run across it, it's because they did it wrong and they're trying mm-hmm. to look for somebody to help them dig out of the situation. I'm their first call and all I do is hand it off to a call person <laughs> because if it's got numbers involved, I want to run away from it. Well, I think there's a misconception that um, if you're salaried, you're automatically exempt. And that's so employers might say, well, we'll just give you a salary. And they think it's okay. Like that's the solution, you know, so um, just make sure they're classified properly. And, you know, and like I said, we're fully remote and I've got what, 22 employees, I think right now. And they, uh, you know, I've got a, a lot of young parents and, you know, they've got kids or people with dogs and, you know, the dog just ate the couch and uh, <laughs> they get to deal with things. And, and I give in, in almost all my uh, with just a few exceptions, almost all my employees are non-exempt. And uh, but we give them the flexibility. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you can still give flexibility. And I didn't want to suggest that you couldn't, but you ha- they, they need to clock in and out. We just need mm-hmm. them to, to. And, you know, we've got a system. uh you know, we use QuickBooks payroll and we use their time clock function and people can just clock in and out. And we can also see, 
uh, we use Zoom for our chat and our communication. So we can see people can say I'm away or, you know, or do not disturb or whatever. So we can see what their status is and people update, you know, I'm feeding Carson uh, mm-hmm. and put it there. And so that's what we, that's what they're doing. And uh, because we've got good measures of quality and, and productivity, I don't have to sweat it. I mean, you know, I don't mm-hmm. have to overmanage. And I think that's one of the, one of the predictions I had when everybody went remote in March uh, was that the companies who had good management, uh, who had processes in place to manage, produ- you know, to, to you know, to look at production and, and to monitor and measure product productivity and quality and whatever the other you know key indicators were for their workforce, they weren't going to have a problem in remote. They, they could they could apply that framework to you know to remote. But those employers who manage by walking around, what are you working on? What are you doing today? What's your day? You know, and just constantly looking over their employees' shoulders to, you know, oh, it looked busy. Here comes the boss. Uh, that kind of atmosphere. They're the ones who, you know, uh, I thought would suffer. And anecdotally, at least in the conversations I've had, those are the ones who really struggled. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mike. Um, that That's one of the things that I've noticed as well is that employers really need to have a clear um, indication of how they're going to measure productivity. Um, As you were saying, uh, uh, you know, it used to be, for example, attendance issues was one of the big things about whether or not somebody was going to be disciplined or whether somebody was going to, was performing satisfactorily. Well, you know, that's maybe not the way to measure performance anymore, you know, so how do you measure if you can't actually see what that person's doing? How do you measure their productivity? So I think managers have to rethink, or some managers have to rethink, how do we measure that somebody is providing the results that we are looking for? It's not just the amount of time they're working on something. What are the results that we're seeing? Um, Some of you also mentioned like daycare and um, you know, pets and that type of thing, you know, uh, an organization, an employer really needs to think about with the job that that individual is doing, are they in a position that they really can be flexible on time, um, working remotely, or like, do they have to be available from this time to this time? Does that mean that the, the employee still needs to worry about daycare or still needs to worry about, you know, being in a place where they're not going to be interrupted. So really the type of work that that employee is doing and the type of culture that that um, employer is, is going to determine some of those um, answers, but it's something to look at. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. For years, I've argued that most employers are second chance employers. Whether they know it or not, they likely have some employees whose critical errors in judgment have led to involvement with the criminal justice system. And most leaders want to be fair in their evaluation of candidates' criminal history information. But they aren't sure how best to do so and still protect their organization from liability, loss, or litigation. And that is why I have a pre-recorded webinar entitled the business case for becoming a second chance employer on our website at imperativeinfo.com. I dive into the statistics and studies surrounding criminal offenses, recidivism, and employment as we review the benefits to businesses from considering and hiring qualified former offenders for positions. 
And this webinar is approved for an hour of recertification credit from both HRCI and SHRM. You can watch this and all of my other webinars on demand at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Recert Credits. Then select episode 64 and enter the keyword remote. That's R-E-M-O-T-E. And now back to my conversation with Marianne Fulgham. Another thing I think a lot of employers were surprised by when they started calling employees back as early as, you know, late 2020, early 2021 is all of a sudden they've got, you know, you know, we're a Fort Worth based company and all of a sudden I've got an employee in Richardson, you know, which is if you don't live in North Texas, that's a, an hour, hour and a half ride with uh, traffic. Uh, or I've got an employee in Colorado. What the heck? I didn't, you know, and 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 they're having to figure that out. Uh, what kind of geographic locations are you uh, restrictions or requirements are you seeing employers place on uh, remote or hybrid employees? I'm not really seeing a lot of geographic restrictions per se. It's really more about whether or not the employee is going to be required to come back into the office and how many days a week is that going to happen? So if they move to Richardson and, and um, they can come to Fort Worth still one or two days a week, then that's not a problem. But you know, um, something to think about as well is if an employee moves out of state, then you start having to worry about whether or not that state has any kind of maybe tax issues or employment law issues that you need to be concerned about. And so um, even with FMLA, for example, um, if you have an employee that's working in another state, you might think, um, and, and let's say you're an FMLA covered employer, you might think that employee doesn't, uh, isn't eligible for FMLA just because um, they're working by themselves remotely. But the reality is um, the DOL looks at the where the employee gets the work site from which the employee gets their work, right? So if we're in Fort Worth at a place that has 50 or more employees, but we're working with an employee who lives in Colorado, that employee is still going to be eligible for FMLA because you don't count that employee's residents um, as their work site, you know, wow. so there's some of those little complicated, complex kind of issues that come up that you don't think about until you have to deal with it. Yeah. And do you really want to, I mean, that's what a, a smaller employers like me, you know, with, you know, a couple dozen employees, we have to consider, do we really want to become a multi-state employer? Do I want to mm -hmm. register my business in this other state? Uh, subscribe to workers comp in that state? Mm -hmm. uh, do I, you know, do I want to, um, you know, pay taxes? And, you know, there's tax withholding issues in some states. Texas, pew, pew, we don't have a state income tax, but a lot of places <laughs> do. And they help expect mm -hmm. us to, uh, you know, employers to withhold and do filings and all of that. Uh, and so, and, you know, there's some states that that may not be a problem, but if I have an employee who wants to move to Colorado or not Colorado, but uh, California, California, yeah. Oh, suddenly, suddenly it's like, or New York. I, suddenly, I'm really going to reconsider that, and mm -hmm. so I think employers really have to to pay attention to what those and make it clear to the employees. Uh, you know, it's um, 
I lost a, an employee. Her uh, husband got a new job and uh, and moved to Oklahoma, and she was a great employee. But I didn't want to become an Oklahoma employer for one mm-hmm. employee, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 go to that burden uh, of, of what the cost was. Um, and so, you know, our rule at a, you know we've told our, our our employees they can live anywhere in Texas, but they have to be able to be here for a meeting with forty eight hours notice in Fort Worth on their own dime. And that's the thing. Uh, and I, I don't anticipate ever needing to do that necessarily because it's worked remote has worked so well for us. Mm-hmm. But I was really clear up front with, with the employees about what the circumstances were and what the boundaries were. And so far, uh, the, the furthest employee right now, I think, is uh, Wichita Falls which is, you know, it's a good it's little drive. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and I've, and I've had one employee consider moving to Austin. So, um, and I, I'm always up for just holding our employee retreats down in Austin. And <laughs> that's a, sure. a better place than, you know, it's, it's fresh. Well, Mike, if I can touch on that as well, you know, the, the thing that you did there that I would encourage any employer to do is you were really clear up front about, what the rules were. And I think what happens sometimes when it gets kind of, I'm going to use the word mushy, but, you know, when you get these complaints and stuff, it's because nobody's really clearly thought about the rules. So you were really clear that, hey, we only want to do uh, work in Texas. Um, you're going to have to be here for a meeting, whatever, once a month or whatever, you know, but you were very clear. And so the employees know what to expect and they can make that decision of whether they want to do it or not. Where I run into problems or where I see problems is, um, you know, where an employee has been allowed to do something and then all of a sudden they can't do it anymore. And then they start feeling like it's about them or against them. And so um, having clear job descriptions, that really helps to know, helps the employee to know why their job needs to be um, at the work site, if that's where it needs to be, or what parts of their job can be done remotely, um, just the rules of engagement. So the fact that you were so clear with that, I think is great. Are you seeing that, uh, I mean, we certainly changed our job descriptions. Are you seeing a lot of employers changing their job descriptions to describe in the job description what the expectations about it around in-person attendance versus remote work are? I'm not seeing a lot of job descriptions change, but I am seeing a lot of employers doing a better job at doing job descriptions. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's clear what your job actually is. And so mm-hmm. it's not the job description we wrote in 2013 and it's right. sat on the shelf since then. Okay. Right, right. So just, uh, yeah, so they're at least trying to communicate better to employees about we're all on the same page here about what the job is. Yeah. And if I can make one more point. Um, so part of what we do, we're a licensed private investigation firm and there's several of us here that are licensed private investigators. And I'm going to say in this last year, 2022, I've probably, I personally have probably done more investigations than I have, um, well, in this less than a year than almost the whole 15 years I've been here. I mean, it's been crazy um, what the complaints have been. Um, It's, you know, not necessarily, they're not necessarily true, like um, discrimination complaints, but they just the employee feeling like they're being treated unfairly. And it's either because they've come back to the workplace and said, I'm not going to put up with that anymore, 
or they've been allowed to do something and now they don't understand why they can't do it anymore. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I've had the same experience in our investigations. Um, you know, the employee always thinks it's discriminatory and, and they always want to call it retaliation for whatever. But when you get in there, it's, it's, you know, uncertainty on the employees part of what expectations were or being given something they saw as a per, you know, a perk of the job, being able to work remote or be flexible. And they've built their life around being able, you know, maybe they got rid of their babysitter because my four-year-old is perfectly content, you know, during the day playing, you know, watching TV and doing stuff. And, and I just have to, you know, make sure they get lunch and play, you know, and do whatever, you know, to make sure they're safe. Uh, but now you want me to come in. So, becoming your employee just is now seems more expensive to me than it was before. Cause I've got to arrange day, daycare again. And, uh, and you get the problem with as soon as you send the kids to daycare, they come back a week later with the latest flu, the latest cough or COVID. And, and so now I can't come into work cause I've got to care for this kid. Uh, and, um, and I, I, I continue to see among my employees who have small children, anybody in my office who gets COVID right now, it's almost always because their kids had it first and, uh, and it causes a lot of daycare problems. Uh, and, but fortunately they're all, you know, I say my office, but you know, my office is a, you know, a bunch of computers now, but, um, but they, uh, you know, it works cause I've got a great team and we, and we often, you know, to the extent that the kid doesn't need care all day, they can get some work done. And that's one of the advantages. You don't have to drive 30 minutes to, to work, you know, I got 45 minutes to work here. So I, you know, I, I can't drive round trip, uh, and, and a 30 minute commute and get any work done, but I can jump on the computer and knock out 45 minutes. And so I think that's one of the, the benefits to it. What other policy, uh, considerations do you think employers really need to pay attention to as, as they rethink what their policies are and make sure that they've, you know, that they're creating an engaged culture, but also not digging a hole for themselves later? Right, right. So, um, so again, we talked about job description. So, I definitely would make sure that um, that it was it's very clear what the job description is, so that because even if a job has been um, modified a little bit to work remotely, see that's part of what's happened is some jobs were modified, like some things didn't get done uh, while working remotely, or. Uh, maybe even remote work might be an accommodation for some kind of, um, you know, ADA or some F FMLA or something like that. And so clear job descriptions will help the employer be able to uh, clearly show what the essential functions are and, and show that this is not about whether we like you or don't like you. This is what the job needs and you can or cannot do this anymore. So that's one thing I, I want to make sure they're very clear on. But other policies, um, it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, the employer wants to make sure that they, if they're going to do a hybrid, for example, um, what are the specific days and times that the employees need to be there, make sure that that's clearly communicated, make sure they've tracked, know how to track the time, um, make sure um, if it's a job that, let's say, it's a support position that the employee is accessible during that time, you know, not that every time you call, you get a voicemail and then they return your call three hours later, you know, that might not be 
from their car coming back from Starbucks and two in the exactly. afternoon, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, you know, do you need to talk about uh, daycare or if you're a caregiver, like let the employee know whether you're expected to be fully focused on your job during this period or if you can have flexibility. So you might need to indicate whether um, uh, you still need al uh, alternate daycare uh, options. Um, let's see, what else did I have here? Do you have a safe work environment? So, I mean, I know that's the employee's responsibility, but if there is some kind of issue that comes up, could that potentially become a worker's comp claim? So part of the policy, I think that the employer would want to have in place is that the employee is responsible for ensuring that they have a safe work environment that they have um, the proper equipment. Some employers provide the equipment to the employee to make sure it's the proper equipment. Um, what about internet use? Um, do you, does the employer pay a stipend to ensure that the employee has the level of internet that they need, or is that going to be just up to the employee? So that equipment, you know, the equipment, um, the safe environment, uh, maybe policies about confidentiality and security of the company information. Um, if you're working at home, you know, do you work in a place that others are not going to have access to company information? So the employee should still be responsible for that security and confidentiality. Um, so let me see. Um, the other thing I would say is, Whatever the rules are, so you, before putting these policies in place, think about uh, what's important to the organization and whatever is decided, there should be some kind of an acknowledgement or agreement that the employee signs that says something like, you know, I understand that uh, these are these are the rules regarding working remotely. I'm responsible for this equipment. Um, if the company provides equipment, I'm responsible for returning it in good shape. Um, you know, in Texas, you can't just deduct from somebody's final paycheck. So maybe even a part of that could be, you know, I understand, uh, you know, some kind of authorization to deduct. So as you issue equipment to your employees, um, you might have them sign an acknowledgement that they received it. You know, so those are the kinds of things that you might put into place, um, that way, if a question comes up, it's very clear what the expectations are. So we're almost out of time, but one last question. If I'm an employer and I feel like I've got a, I had a good company culture uh, pre-pandemic, um, but I'm concerned that with you know, if we stay remote as we bring on new employees, they're not going to integrate the same, they're not going to have the relationships. But I, I get the feeling from my workforce that uh, unless I want to replace a bunch of people, we better stay remote. What uh, what have you seen work, or what what have you seen employers doing, or would you recommend as, as ways to maintain kind of a company culture, and employee engagement with each other, and that connection uh, in a hybrid or remote uh, environment? Uh, the biggest thing that I can say, I'm going to use the big C word, communication, right? So anytime I see that there's an issue or um, anytime I see that things are going well, and it has to either do with 
really good clear communication or lack of communication. So I would say, um, you know, if there's a way for the top management to continue to um, not just send emails, but find a way for people to still kind of get together um, maybe clearly communicate their successes, um, you know, possibly still require people to come in maybe once a month or something like that to kind of get that team vibe. I, I As good as Zoom does in still having um, the voice and the face, it's still not the same as um, just having a regular conversation. So, um, I would say just keeping in touch with people. Don't let people fall off. It's really easy when you don't see somebody to let them kind of fall off or they feel like they fall off and nobody really cares anymore. So just to stay engaged in, in finding ways to continue to communicate more than just emails. That's great. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining me, Marianne. Well, thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guest at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week, and until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up. <laughs>